0: Amen. Let me mention four things very quickly before I start with the message. One, I want to thank you for praying. We took 24 hours of prayer, and over 40 of you took part in that time of prayer on Friday and Saturday. And thank you. I prayed for you while you were praying. So thank you for praying. Second thing I want to mention is at the close of the service today, we will vote on a change to our church constitution. So, please be aware of that, and we'll be voting on it at the end of this service and the end of the next service. So, please be aware of that. Um, Third, I wanna mention to you that at the last business meeting, we did have a motion presented to uh, move from two services to one, and it was tabled. The motion was laid on the table uh, for right now so we could get more input. So, your ministerial staff would like to get input. From you, Many of you have already shared that, but if you'd like to be here at the Fellowship Hall this afternoon at 1.30 to 3, we will be here if you'd like to share with us if you have not already. So just letting you know, 1.30 to 3 this afternoon, and then, I believe that's correct, 1.30 to 3, and then Thursday we'll be here from 6.30 to 8. So this time is for you to come and provide input to us so we can do the study and planning and prayerfully looking at what God would have us to do with regard to that, because that's the most important input we want to get from all of this. So I want to make you aware of that. All right. One other thing let me mention. We are in a series entitled Promised Land Living, preparing our hearts for our heavenly home. And it would be wrong of me not to at least mention that part of this has been motivated by a book that I read a number of years ago, and I go back to it on a regular basis, that tells the story of this wilderness wandering entitled, Lord, Change My Attitude. Uh, we've actually di- we actually did this study at the beginning of 2018. If you'd like to know more information about that, it goes more in depth with regard to this sermon series. Uh, you're welcome to check it out. It's a book by James McDonald, and he goes into much more depth than I can in a series of sermons. But uh, I-, I wanted to mention that, cite that, and make you aware of that because that's the uh, I adapted this and was inspired by this from that. But we're talking about preparing our hearts for our heavenly home and. This world is not your home. You're just a passing through. Do you know that? The Bible says you're a citizen of heaven. It says that you're to keep your heart and your mind on heavenly things and not earthly things. So why prepare your heart? Well, we don't want to make the same mistakes Israel made. And the New Testament speaks of those mistakes that Israel made. Let me share with you just one verse. 1 Corinthians 10.6 says, Now these things, talking about the wilderness wandering, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That word lust means to set your heart. It means the direction of your heart. So the corporate heart of Israel caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And I would propose to you that most problems that Christians have and churches have are heart problems. Not the condition of the heart, because we have a new heart through Jesus. Amen? It's the direction of the heart. Where is your heart set? Where is it directed? Where is it pointed? Jesus has given you a new heart. Where is your heart directed? Now, last week, we talked about the dangers of directing your heart toward criticism and redirecting it toward love. Today, We're going to talk about moving our hearts, moving our hearts from rebellion to submission. Rebellion to submission. Number 16 is our passage. We're going to read just verses 1 through 4. I do want to encourage you, maybe today, take time to read the whole chapter. We don't have time to do that today, but it's quite a story. And you're going to want to read it. But let's stand in honor of God's Word as we look at the first four verses. First four verses of Numbers chapter 16. Now Korah, and then it goes on to share some of his lineage, and then it says, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Let's pray. Father, just help me to clearly preach your word today. Help me to be faithful in the presentation of it. Help me to share it from a submissive heart. Help us to take your words seriously. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What is rebellion? What is rebellion? It is simply knowing what God wants me to do and refusing to do it. Knowing what God wants me to do and refusing to do it. This was a big issue. If you were to look in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, the writer, and you can write that down. I'd encourage you to check that out later. Hebrews 3:14 says, the warning from the writer of Hebrews is, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. It is refusing to do what God, you know that God wants you to do. So we're going to talk through number 16. It teaches us five truths we need to understand so that we'll be motivated to flee rebellion in our own lives. If we don't, we'll suffer the consequences. So truth number one I want to share with you is this. Rebellion is serious business. Listen to this passage. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says this. 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Now think about that for a second. Think about the things you've heard connected with witchcraft. Think about the people around the world and here who pray and worship idols made by hands. And realize that when we are rebellious toward God, we are just as guilty according to the word of God. When you know what God wants you to do and you refuse to do it, to God, it is like witchcraft and idolatry. To God, and he's the only one who matters, rebellion is serious business. Do you understand? Do we understand how serious rebellion is to God? Think about the powers God has ordained. Human government Church leadership, the husband in the home, the parents over the children, your boss at work, the justice system, the court system, and think about your heart toward them. Is your heart toward God-ordained authority one of rebellion, or do you hate rebellion like God hates rebellion? The first truth we need to see is that rebellion is serious business to God, and it should be to us. Number two, rebellion exists in every human heart. Rebellion exists in every human heart. Understand from number 16, those who rebelled were not the outcasts of society. These were the leaders. So nobody is excluded from rebellion. Nobody's excluded. The capacity to willfully refuse God's plan and God's man exists in every human heart. And rebellion is not ignorance. Rebellion is arms folded, lip out, turned around, heart that says, I won't and you can't make me. Rebellion goes all the way way back to the garden. God told Adam and Eve that 99.9% of the garden is yours to do with as you wish, but don't eat the tree. And what did they do? They ate the tree. Ate of that fruit. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen 15 tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Rebellion is there from the very beginning. Now, you can call it independence. You can call it oppositional defiance disorder. You can call it whatever you want. But knowing what God wants and not doing it is flat-out rebellion. We've all been guilty of it in heart and action. And whether you admit it or not, by the way, your denial of that may be a form of rebellion. We are just as much rebels as Korah and his bunch. So we need to admit that rebellion exists in every human heart. Rebellion is serious. It exists in every human heart, including our own. And rebellion has many sources. Rebellion has many sources. Let me mention six jealousy. Rebellion flows from jealousy. Korah wanted the position that God had given Moses and Aaron. It's clear from the text. It's clear in our lives that when we're jealous of those God places in authority, rebellion will follow. Delusions. Delusions result in rebellion. Those who are jealous of leaders usually don't see what leadership goes through. Delusions of grandeur cloud the minds and hearts of those who rebel against authority. There are those in authority over you, and you think that you can do a better job than they can, but you may have no clue what they go through and what they do. Delusions. Ungratefulness. Verse 9 mentions this. Moses asked Korah, why is it not enough that God has allowed you to serve that you should want more? In other words, Korah was ungrateful for what he already had. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. You're going to write this down. You're going to want to. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says that if if you have any leadership at all, if I have any leadership at all, guess who gives it to you? God. God. And it's something for which we ought to be grateful. If you and I ever think we deserve to lead, we forget how we got there in the first place. Number four, stubbornness. Verse 12 tells us Moses wanted to meet with Dathan and Abiram, and they refused. So are you stubborn? Are you hard to agree with? You may think that stubbornness is a strength, but according to the word of God, it is not. It is iniquity and it is idolatry. It is the worship of self over God. It's often a source of rebellion. Disappointment, verse 13, reveals that part of the reason for their rebellion was lost opportunity. They no longer had the predictability of Egypt or of the promised land. And they were sad, and their disappointment at their missed opportunity caused them to question authority. People often use disappointment with authority as a reason to rebel. But you're wrong if you think God is pleased with your rebellious heart because you either disagree with your leaders... Or see their faults. By the way, do leaders have faults? Absolutely. And number six, distrust. Korah and his allies did not trust Moses. In verse 14, they accused him of blinding the people. And then they said, are you going to blind us too? Are you going to make us blind too? Now Moses wasn't perfect and no man or woman is. But they are there because God put them there. And if God put them there, God is on their side as far as leadership is concerned. To stop trusting God's leader is to stop trusting God. Rebellion is serious. Rebellion exists in every human heart. Rebellion has many sources. And number four, rebellion has many consequences. Number one, and these start in verse 19. Number one... Leadership withdrawal. Leadership withdrawal. It says here, separate yourselves from these leaders. God says to Moses, Aaron, and the elders, separate yourselves from these leaders. When you become difficult to lead, leadership will withdraw from you. Expect it. I saw this at a Bill Gothard conference a number of years ago, and I thought it was a great illustration of the importance of submission to authority. It's the idea of an umbrella. Now, Please don't get upset I'm opening an umbrella inside because it's bad luck. There's no such thing, okay? okay. I may poke my eye out, but it'll be because I'm clumsy, not because of bad luck. The idea is that authority serves as an umbrella. Whatever the authority, the God-given authority is. And when you choose, and that umbrella provides protection. It can be a parent to a child. But when that person decides to rebel... You see what happens? They take themselves out from under the the God-ordained authority that is there. And the consequence is leadership withdrawal. Consequence number two, collateral damage. Verse 27, the leaders came out with their wives and children and their grandchildren. All of them, all of them suffered because of the sin of a few. When... You rebel. When I rebel, it affects everyone around us. Dads and moms. When you have a rebellious heart, it will affect your family. They will be collateral damage. Number three guilty condemnation. These are consequences of rebellion. Korah and his cronies were judged for their rebellion, and we are judged for our rebellious hearts as well. The censors they used would become a perpetual reminder that God condemns the guilty. They would would take those gold censors that were left after Korah and his cronies had been burned up and shape them into pieces that would be used perpetually in worship. And number four, the spreading infection. And this is the most amazing piece of this in verse 41 in number 16. When you read, after all of this has happened to Korah and his followers, the people still are angry at Moses. And here's the thing about rebellion rebellion, like an infection, will spread, it'll spread. And that's what happens in Numbers chapter sixteen. A plague broke out among the people because they'd been infected by rebellion. And Hebrews twelve fifteen tells us that bitterness defiles many. When we're bitter, when we're rebellious, whenever we have sin, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It affects everybody. So rebellion is serious. Rebellion exists in the human heart. Rebellion has many sources. It has many consequences, and. The last thing I want you to see is that rebellion is ultimately against God. Rebellion is ultimately against God. Listen to two verses, verse 11 and verse 30. Verse, this is number 16. Therefore you and all your company have gathered together against the Lord. You've gathered together against the Lord. And then verse 30 says this. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belong to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected, not Moses, but the Lord. If you rebel, if you knowingly refuse to obey what God, what and whom God has told you to follow, then you do not ultimately reject the human leader and authority, but you reject the Lord. You are saying, God, you don't know what you're doing, and I'm not going to follow you. So rebellion is serious. Rebellion exists in every human heart. Rebellion has many sources. It has many consequences, and it's ultimately against God. So I'm going to ask you three questions as we turn toward the solution. Are you a rebel? We need to all examine our hearts with fear and trembling in this matter and keep Cora and his crew in mind. Are you right now, maybe in your life, reaping the consequences of rebellion in your walk with God? Could it be that you're wandering in the wilderness spiritually because your life has rebellion written all over it? Maybe not outwardly, but maybe inwardly. Number three, are you willing to repent? Are you willing to turn from a heart set toward rebellion to something better? Here's the solution. The solution is submission. The solution is submission. Let me read to you from 1 Peter two, thirteen through 16. Peter says these words, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Well, let's talk about what submission is. It's very important you understand a biblical definition of submission. It is operating willingly within God's chain of command. Operating willingly within God's chain of command. Now, there are some wrong-headed ideas about submission, and submission's been hijacked by a lot of dominating dictators who try to make others submit. You cannot biblically make others submit. Once you make others submit, it's no longer submission. Did you know that? It must be done willingly. So who is submission for? Here's two passages that speak to that. Notice what it says in this passage, Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject to, unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are are, ordained of God. So every soul. How many? Everybody, okay? And notice it says in Ephesians 5, 21, submitting yourselves to who? One another. I submit to you, you submit to me, we submit to one another. By the way, there's some important context I need to lay out here as we move forward. Both Paul writing to the Romans and Peter writing his letter, are writing in the context of a world government that is not pro-Christian. Did you know that? Peter would wind up losing his life to Nero. So we may fuss about our leaders, but I assure you we don't have a Nero yet. So take that into account. So five principles of submission I want you to see. One is submission is duty to God. Submission is duty to God. The word means to place oneself in order under established authority. And verse 13 and 14 tells us that in 1 Peter. And it's not a forced deal. It's voluntary. And the person in authority does not command submission. You can't do that. And you're to do it. It literally says, for the Lord's sake. And I just want you to picture that for a second. For the Lord's sake. And imagine i just want you to use your biblical imagination just for a second and i want you to picture that jesus christ comes walking in this door jesus christ comes walking in this door and uh, i've got to use a volunteer so i'm gonna pick somebody close i'm gonna borrow philip all right you just stay right there but imagine if jesus came up to you philip and and he said philip i love you man died for you i think you're awesome I need you to submit to the authorities, not for their sake, but for my sake. What would you do? I'd listen. I'd listen. Okay, I would too. Would you? Say, he, he could say, look, I know they're imperfect, but don't do it for their sake. Do it for whose sake? For the Lord's sake. And that's the whole point that Peter's saying. He's saying, I know these people are messed up. I know these leaders are terrible, but don't do that. For their sake, do it for my sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. So submission is duty to God. Secondly, submission is protection by God. Notice verse 14, it's protection by God. The government exists for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Government does not deal with evildoers for the purpose of rehabilitation, according to the word of God but for punishment of evildoers. and notice that it is God's will for you to submit and that if you do the right thing by submitting you will according to verse 15 sub- silence the ignorance of foolish men silence the ignorance of foolish men what I'm fix sure is very hard but it's the word of God would are you being unfairly treated by those who are over you don't answer Would you like to put a muzzle on them? Would you like to shut them up? Then submit to them. According to the word of God, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. Have you been treated unfairly at work? Then submit to them. You will silence the ignorance of foolish men. You're being treated unfairly by someone at home, maybe. Then submit to them. You will silence the ignorance of foolish men. And I don't know how long it'll take to make the situation right, but I believe God will make it right. He will silence the ignorance of foolish men. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 5 5 says this. You humble yourself under the hand of God and he will exalt you in the proper time. So submission is duty to God. Submission is protection by God. But understand that submission has its limits under God. It has its limits. This is not unrestricted submission. We are to act, according to the passage, as free people. As free people. So how much is too much? Three thoughts. It depends on the source first. There are some things that your spouse can ask you to do that you should submit to, that you should not submit to from your boss. Amen? Think about that. That's true. There are things your parents might ask you to do that you would not do for your pastor. It depends on the source. Secondly, it depends on the severity. If you're a victim of passive abuse or negligence, that might be different from active abuse. Is the abuse involving you or does it affect your family? I can put up with a lot more abuse if it's me. But if you start bringing my family into it, can y'all relate to that? Then that changes the severity of the matter. And number three, it depends on the frequency. Maybe something happens one time or once a month or something like that. That's one thing underneath the leadership. But if it's it's a constant pattern, then it's something that's got to be dealt with. So submission is duty to God. Submission is protection by God. It's limits. It has its limits under God. But I want you to notice this. Submission is favor from God. It's favor from God. You want the favor of God? Then submit. God loves heartfelt and willing humility. If you look at verse 18, if you read down the passage at verse 18, we're told it is a a commendable thing from God when we submit to authority. We hear the well done. We're commendable when we do it for the right reasons. So if you want to hear that well done, talking about being a praiseworthy Christian, learn to biblically submit. Jesus had a submissive heart, didn't he? He had a submissive heart. He grew in favor with God and man. So submit, it pleases God. And the last thing I want to share with you, number five, is submission is intimacy with God. Submission is intimacy with God. If you look at verse 21 of 1 Peter 2, it tells us that we have been called for the purpose of submission and that just as Jesus Christ submitted to the authorities for His Father's sake and for our sake, we have the privilege. Hear that word. Privilege of submitting to the authorities for His sake. I love Paul's statement in Philippians 3.10 that says that I may know Him, And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to the image of his death. It's the idea that when I suffer, when I submit, I'm closer to Jesus than I was before. Because he submitted. So from rebellion to submission. From rebellion to submission. I want to leave you with two questions where's your heart i know the condition of it if you're a believer here today but where's it directed is your heart directed toward rebellion or toward submission only you know it may come out in the words you say it may come out in things you do but if you have a new heart through jesus christ you can redirect that heart toward submission And if needed, are you willing to repent of rebellion and submit to God's chain of command today? Brother John, this sounds impossible. It sounds hard. Can I tell you it is impossible apart from Jesus Christ? You hear what I'm saying? But God has called us to live more than a life than we can handle on our own. He's called us to live a life that we can only handle through Him. And if my Lord submitted Himself for my sake... I can submit myself for his sake. Amen? Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you are with the Lord today. But if you don't have a heart directed toward being submissive in the appropriate fashion, if you are at heart a rebel and you think that that's cool, I'm here to tell you God doesn't think that. If somebody like a Peter or a Paul would say submit to authorities and and he is looking at the leaders he's looking at. And if Jesus, even stepping in the world he stepped into, is willing to submit, how can we not submit? Maybe today you can't submit because your heart has not been made new. Maybe you've not surrendered your heart to the Lord today. Maybe you have an attitude of rebellion. God says, submit. For my sake, Submit that you'd be willing to do it. Imagine what he did for you. Father, as we have this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll help us to see the example you set for us, that we might be an example for you and for this world. Help us to direct this new heart you've given us away from rebellion toward you and toward submission under your authority. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name.